Hello and welcome to For the Love of Freelance. I'm your host, Tia Grito, and joined by my lovely co-host, Anna Dougherty. We are so happy to introduce you to our guest today, Cameron Monet. Cameron is an attorney, content creator, and YouTuber who creates content to show the real behind the scenes of being a non-traditional lawyer. Her content is driven by her passion for all things fashion and beauty, as well as female professionalism and entrepreneurship. Cameron's goal is to inspire, motivate, and challenge others to work hard, prioritize self-care, and build a life you love. Hi, Cameron. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to get into the tea. Us too. Awesome. We are so happy to have you here. I know you have so much to offer our guests, so we are going to go ahead and do a little quick fire round to start the podcast so that our guests can get to know you a little bit more before we dive into everything that you have to say today about influencer marketing and contracts and all that good stuff. Sound good? Sounds good. Let's get into it. Okay, perfect. So let's start with something easy. Where are you from? I am originally from Flint, Michigan, but I currently live in Birmingham, Alabama. Oh, super fun. What was your job before you became a content creator and specialized in influencer marketing? I was an employment litigation attorney. Oh, goodness. Okay. Sounds a little bit different. What is the best tool that you use for your business? Probably ClickUp, my task management software. Nice. Okay, perfect. And what is your go-to coffee shop order? Okay, so it depends on where I'm going, but we're going to go with a classic Starbucks. I would say... Grande iced chai latte with oat milk and three pumps of brown sugar syrup. So good. Ooh. Okay, perfect. Chai lattes have been really popular with our guests lately. And Anna. So good. Yes, I love a dirty chai though, so I got to add that espresso. What is the worst business decision you've made? I did a bad investment into a trademark with an attorney that didn't quite know what she was doing. Ooh, okay. We'll probably want to hear more about that later because mm-hmm. I know that <laughs> trademarks are definitely something that our audience loves to know more about. Absolutely. And what's the best business decision you've made? The best business decision I've made was probably hiring my operations manager this year. She is phenomenal and has transformed my systems and automations and my business as a whole. Awesome. Yeah, we are super big fans of outsourcing around here. So I love to hear that. Outsourcing and organization. Major key. (laughs) So Cameron, can you tell us, walk us through a little bit more of your background? How did you get to becoming a non-traditional attorney? Yeah, so long story short, I can be very long-winded, y'all, but it all started in 2014 when I started my YouTube channel. I feel like like all the beauty gurus that were trying to do it back then, I'm no, not definitely not a beauty guru, but I love everything (laughs) about hair and makeup and fashion, and I wanted to just put it on a platform. And even going further back than that, like growing up, I was always in performing arts. I love the stage. I love theater. I love being in front of the camera, behind the camera, all the things like that. So started my YouTube channel, got in college, did that whole thing. And I had to decide on a major. And y'all, I was like, I don't know what I want to do. My advisor was a lawyer. And he said, how about you try pre-law classes? Tried pre-law classes, joined the mock trial team. And I fell in love with it. And I said, if I get into law school, I'll go. Got into several law schools, ended up going. Still continued to do my YouTube channel. Then Instagram came along and I stopped sharing so much beauty because y'all, I was in law school really studying. So my hair was in a bun, no makeup. <laughs> so I started sharing my journey being a law student. And fast forward, I graduated, had an amazing job, loved doing that, but I just felt called to do more. I had a lot of colleagues and creators and just asking me questions about contracts because it was somewhat of a new thing when I got out of law school in 2019. And 
it just went from there. And I quit in the middle of the pandemic, <laughs> my law firm job and decided to just bet on myself and help my fellow creators because it's something that I love. I love that. I love that. So you said you quit. What took you to the next step? Like what made you make that decision? Honestly, I always think back now and I, I'd say during the pandemic, it was traumatizing for all of us. Okay. Yeah. It but was. it really helped me sit down and think like, wow, do I really love working at a firm? Like I thought that's what you had to do as a law student. Like I had to get the job before I graduate, which I did. I had to work at a law firm. I had to do all these things. And then it was like, no, I don't have to do anything. Actually, I could see where my passions align. And I love law. I love researching. I'm still a nerd at heart, but I also am a creator. Like that is I always say I'm a creator first. Yeah. Because that's where my true love really lies on being a creative. And yeah, I just bet on myself. And also, uh, let me just add this, y'all. <laughs> I made sure my finances was together. Okay. I didn't just quit yes. and jump out in the ocean. Okay. I had a life jacket. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very smart. Very smart. How much of a life jacket did you leave yourself? Six months of all my bills. Six months. Amazing. That's super key. Not everyone, not a lot of freelancers realize that. I feel like that's another podcast for another day, but freelancer <laughs> finances and just having those safety nets and figuring everything out. But how did you find the world of influencing? And when did you kind of become an expert and a lifeline for influencers and all of their questions? Yeah. So like I said, I started in 2014 when it really, to me, I didn't know people were making money. I was just creating videos, having fun. I wasn't getting monetized on YouTube or anything like that wasn't a thing. I started monetizing when all you had to do was turn it on. <laughs> so I didn't have to have any of these requirements that they have now. I just turned on the switch in 2015 and was like, oh, great. This is great. I'd say it was really in 2015, 2016, when I started collaborating with brands, mm -hmm. I started monetizing my YouTube. And at that time, there really weren't any contracts. It was just, hey, Cameron, I love your content. Do you want to <laughs> share this wig? And I'm like, okay, girl, thank you free hair. Absolutely. But then it got to a point where I was looking around my room and I was going to law school and I couldn't work my first year. And I was like, I can't pay my rent with hair, with makeup, with beauty. Right. Let me start charging these companies. And then it was just trial and error from there. I started talking to some of my friends and like we all just asked each other about payments and working with brands and how that worked. And over the time, I didn't realize like I was doing a lot of research on the position that I now have. Yeah, I love that you were like an influencer yourself and you realized this need. That's sort of how Tia yep. started freelancing females. She was a freelancer that didn't really have a place to ask for support and get answers to those questions because they were all new questions. So very cool. I love that. Exactly. It's so new. It's so new. So you started back in 2015 influencing. What would you say to someone today who's kind of looking into becoming an influencer, starting to gain a following? Is it oversaturated? Can you still make it as an influencer? I would say it is not oversaturated. People have their own opinions. I just don't think it is. One, there's so many platforms you can diversify where you focus your specific content on. So if you really love short form video, navigate TikTok. Post those reels. Have fun with that. If you love long form content, do YouTube. Like there's so many different platforms now where you can diversify the content. Also, now it's a lot more of like the journey. I think before I thought I had to only do beauty content. Like that's why people are here. But that's just not true. Like yeah. people are also here just for the journey. There's some people that have been following me since law school and now they saw me work at a law firm and then they saw me now navigating entrepreneurship. So I think now it's a lot more, I'd say it, it's less saturated if you ask me, because you can pretty much just navigate your own journey. And at the end of the day, people can copy and paste some of your things, but 
your knowledge, your experience, your journey, you can never be duplicated. I love that. Okay, so let's take me, for example, ground zero, (laughs) not an influencer. What metrics would you say that I have to get to before I can start being an influencer? I know that there's micro-influencing, and I know that there's people that have millions of followers. So what would be like the entry point for becoming an influencer? Honestly, it has changed. It has changed. I'd say at least a thousand followers. And to some people that might sound like a lot or not that much, but if you have a thousand, you know, it's kind of like that saying of a thousand true fans, but if you have a thousand followers and you are consistently creating content, consistent doesn't mean every day in my book. Okay. I got other things to do, but if you are consistent, (laughs) girl, listen. And if you also have an engaged audience that loves your content, loves your journey, they're so interactive and you also are interactive with them because social media is social. You got to be social then I think a thousand followers should be everyone's goal starting out. Okay. And depending on like how many followers you have, how do you even start to price yourself and decide what you're worth as an influencer? It is difficult. It's definitely a hard thing. I like to use percentages. And I always tell people on the back end of your business, make a note of your own rates, have your own formula and stick to that for a while until you feel comfortable negotiating. I like to use percentages because is easy numbers, okay? 10 to 20% of your following, 10 to 30% of your following, 30% of your following, find the percentage that you're comfortable with. I usually say 20, 30% of your following is a great place to start. Then once you hit over 100,000 followers, you kind of decrease it from there because numbers got to make sense, right? But also if you're a professional videographer, professional photographer, you're going to also charge more for your expertise. If you are a licensed attorney and I'm working with a legal software, (laughs) you better believe I'll charge a little bit more, okay? So don't be afraid to kind of customize your calculations depending on the brand partnership as well as your audience too. Okay. Love that. Great stuff. What would you say is one of the biggest mistakes influencers make when they're breaking into the market? Woo! We could be talking for hours. Uh, (laughs) I would say a few things. They're scared to negotiate. And what I mean by that is, let's say your dream brand. I've had these moments where I'm like, oh, my God, this brand reached <laughs> out to me. Oh, my God. Yeah. I would do anything you say. But then it gets to a point where it's like, I have to value myself and also put up boundaries, even for brands that I love. So I'm going to do the hard work. I'm going to negotiate. Even with this brand, I put on a pedestal. But they're coming to me for a reason or I reached out to them and they said yes for a reason. So don't forget to negotiate. Like your content matters. And that brain wants to work with you for a reason, whether you reached out or they reached out. Right. The second thing would definitely be contract. I couldn't do this without talking about contract because that's what I do. Just not reading them thoroughly. There's going to be terms in there, like perpetuity. I talk about this all the time. People are like, oh, just go skip over the term. It's fine. Girl, not you to sign your whole content over for your whole life. And perpetuity means forever. Like they have the right to use your content forever. And a good example that I always use where it could be a problem. Let's say this brand gets into a scandal. We don't want a scandal, but they might get into a scandal. And then now you're the only creator that signed up in perpetuity contract. Therefore, now you're this ambassador and they're posting your picture everywhere and you have no way out of the contract because maybe you also didn't read the termination clause, et cetera. So thoroughly read it. If you don't know what you're doing, contact someone to help you. Ask your friends, ask your colleagues, ask the brand. It's a mutual relationship. It should be a partnership. It shouldn't be this them against you thing. Like, don't be afraid to ask questions. And I'd say those are probably the top two. Okay. Walk us through a negotiation. What are some of the things, what are some of the tactics that you love to use? Oh, okay. Okay, y'all. So listen up, listen up. Okay, here I go. Start higher. Start higher. 
because they're going to start lower. That's the gag. Like, give them that scary number so that you can get down to a comfortable place of the actual number you want. If you want $1,000, don't tell them $1,000. 9 out of 10, they're not going to agree. And if they do, then you're too low. Every time I tell a brand my rate and they say yes, I'm like, oh, we didn't even know that she ate. They just said, yes, I'm way too low. So if I want a thousand, I'm going to try to double or triple it because, mm-hmm. okay, y'all, I'm going to tell y'all what to tell my clients. I'm going to just spill the tea. Spill the tea. Brands, whatever rate they give you, if it's a reasonable rate, because some brands say $20 and they know, yeah. come on. Mm-mm. But That doesn't even cover our coffees. Oh, girl, I'm like, anyway. But what number they give you, if it's reasonable, you can double or triple it. So think of that same way when you're giving them your number, because that's how they're thinking. That's a negotiation practice I learned in law school and when I was practicing as an attorney. Okay, that's super, super smart. And so would you only recommend influencers going for paid contracts? Would you ever recommend product only, like even if you're just starting out and getting your foot in the door? Okay, there's a big talk about gifting. Okay, and let me just say I'm not anti-gifting opportunities. I think there gets to a point where you have to put a cap on it. If I've done a gifting or product in exchange for a post for a brand more than one or two times, that second or third time, oh, it's giving very much paid collaboration. It's giving very much thank you so much for coming back and circling the block. But here's my rates. Because what happens is brands get comfortable, creators get comfortable, and then it gets so far out where it's almost even more scary to bring up the payment when you do too long of gifting. Mm. Nip it in the bud in the beginning. When I tell a brand that I'm going to agree to a gifting or a product in exchange for a post, I let them know this first time yeah. I'm going to agree the first time around. Got it. But when you start to black, rates will be presented. Exactly. We have a lot of brands who come to us and they're like, well, we have, you know, an affiliate link that you can make money off of. And we're like, uh-uh, that's not happening. We are marketing your (laughs) brand to our followers we're taking our time which takes money we're not just doing affiliate marketing you gotta come with a number absolutely and i think affiliate is a great way for i'd say newer creators like not necessarily smaller i think you know i feel like following is subjective but newer creators that have maybe never worked with brands but like they know they can bring that conversion rate prove it to them If you're like, I know my followers are going to buy that, or maybe there's a product that you've been organically showing, then tell them, hey, I would like an affiliate link for this first collaboration. But the thing with affiliate links where I think some creators do make a little bit of a mistake, don't accept all affiliate links if you know it's not a product you already use or you can organically talk about a lot. Because with affiliates, it's about how much you can talk about it and how many links and clicks you can get. But if you don't already talk about it, it's really not a benefit for you because you're going to have to try to strategize on how to talk about it when it should be organic when it comes to affiliate marketing. I like that. Okay, so do you suggest that an influencer creates their own like media kit when they're pitching themselves to a brand like with all these numbers and just have something ready to go that shows what they can do and what their socials are bringing to the table? Yes, I love a media kit. I also love when brands send me like a quick little brand guide or media kit about them, especially newer brands. But yeah, y'all, Canva. <laughs> Let me tell you about Miss Canva. Mm-hmm. She will hook you up with a media kit. I do my media kit and my rate sheet. I update it quarterly and or bi-yearly. It just kind of depends. If Let's say I'm going viral, right? If I'm going viral, I might update it a little bit more frequently. But also, I never put my rates on my media kit. I know people have different opinions, but if a brand asks me for my media kit, they never said nothing about rates. I don't want to underball myself right. until I ask for the budget because 
I forgot about this when negotiating. Okay, y'all. Okay. Ask for the budget first. I'm never going to give you my hand. And some people say that, well, you have the upper hand if you present the number. Uh-uh. Because I had a friend that told me, and I'll never forget this, she was going to charge the brand like half of what their budget was. And the person, it was like an influencer manager or somebody, they were so nice to tell her, okay, I'm going to ask you what your rate is again, knowing our budget is this. They did not have to tell her that. But that also showed her, okay, now I need to ask for the budget. So asking for the budget can tell you where they're starting and where their mind is before you introduce your numbers. But yeah, I'm, I'm team media kit for sure. Okay. We're huge fans of discovery calls before getting into negotiations and seeing what the goals are of the potential client to see how their budgets are, what they're working on next, where we can fit in with them before we send anything else. It's been so helpful. Absolutely. I Maybe I'm old school, y'all, but I love getting on a call with a brand. One, I feel like you really build that connection with the brand. Sometimes you can even negotiate more deliverables. And once they put a face to like your brand, it also, I feel like just makes the relationship easier. And when you're negotiating and when you're having those tough conversations, like, oh, I can't agree to three reshoot, they kind of already put a personality and like a trust behind you as a person. So I say definitely get on a call, especially I'd say it's almost required. If I'm doing more than one type of post for a brand, I'm getting out of call. Oh, yeah. Because if we're working together over the course of a few months, I need to see who's behind <laughs> the screen just in case I don't want to be there. Great point. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to kind of circle back to the media kits again. I know that you do contract consulting for your clients, which I definitely want to touch on. But when you have someone come to you as an influencer looking for help, do you also take a look at their media kit and kind of make sure that they are valuing themselves properly? Like, tell us a little bit more about what you do for everyone that comes to you looking for help. Yeah. So I have a clarity call option, which is literally like my catch all because there's some questions that aren't contract related and I can still give some insight and expertise on. So if it's a new creator and they're like, I get this all the time where there's someone that works a nine to five or they're in a professional field and they're like, how do I navigate social media in a place where my job not go fire me? Okay. And I'm like, okay, let's start with the media kit. So I'll review their page. I'll review their media kit. My clarity call is a 30-minute call, and it's literally whatever you need at that moment. Maybe you're like, okay, I don't even know how to approach this brand. Or maybe a brand reached out to them, and they're like, what do I say back to them? Or could you give me some insight on what I do in the future of how I can navigate the influencer marketing space and things like that? So I've reviewed media kits. We talk rates. I will tell you what I would suggest. I always give a range because at the end of the day, it's up to the creator. I think that's a pro and a con of there not being like a standard rate I know. is you have that flexibility. So I always give a range, but I get into the nitty gritty on my calls. I will tell you all the tea. That's super helpful. I think we're booking a call after this. <laughs> yeah, I think that we could have a lot to learn from you when it comes to partnerships. Yeah. I would love to help. Okay. And so once someone moves from that initial, they've sent their media kit, the brand has reached out to them. When it comes to getting that contract back, how many back and forths do you typically suggest before you should maybe start getting worried about the brand saying no to what you're requesting? Ooh, great question. So I'd say in the negotiation phase, my my limit is three. It's a give me your budget. I give you my rate. You say that's too high. I tell you this is my final answer. And they say this is the final answer. We either say yes or no. Three times. With a contract, it varies. Because sometimes it's a confusion of a term or a clause mm -hmm. or sometimes the person that let's say the creator is working with, they're like, I'm not in the legal department or I have no idea what you just asked me to take out. I'll have to get back to you when I have some answers. So that can vary. I would say with a contract, either they're immediately going to say, we'll get back to you and see if we can change that. Or they say we can't change anything, which is 
a conversation for another day because you can always edit a contract. Quick little caveat. When a contract is presented to you, it's going to be in the favor in light of the person that's sending it to you. I'm never going to send a contract that's going to be favorable to the other person. That doesn't make sense, like logically, like business-wise. So it's going to be some type of negotiation happening so we can be in the middle because I don't know how to meet in the middle for the other person until they tell me. So I think with a contract, it varies. I wouldn't be afraid to let it go even maybe longer than the three times because sometimes it's like, Mm -hmm. okay, we changed this, but now we need to add this. Or we changed this and now we need to add this. But that's, again, why getting on a call sometimes is a lot more clear because emails could sound very rude. And it's like, I'm not mad. I promise. Yeah. I just really don't understand what this says. (laughs) What's your number one contract clause? What needs to be in everybody's contract? Oh, it was hard. I know. Well, you can pick a couple then. (laughs) okay top three okay there you go the first i would probably say no certain order but first i would say it needs to be clear on the ownership ownership and usage rights i need to know if i'm driving down the street and my face is on a billboard i need to know that i agree to that or a check got cut so i need to know who is going to own the content after it's created i always tell creators y'all do not let the work for hire they started adding that in contracts control f and find work for hire it does not apply in this industry Okay, it just doesn't. If I post the content on my platform, no one should own that content. Once I post it on Camera Monet Instagram account, I don't want anyone else having ownership over that. Or user-generated content for the brand where it's not posted on my platform, that's a different story. But I need to, it still needs to be a discussion about ownership. The second thing would be payment. We need to be clear on how I'm getting paid, when I'm getting paid, how much I'm getting paid, yep. and who do I send the invoice to? And is there any other documents you need to start that payment? net 30 or upfront or however we decide to do that. And how are you deciding to do that upfront? Let me tell you, <laughs> there's this horrible standard in the industry and I don't care. Net 30, ain't no way. It's crazy. It's no. crazy. Net 60. I had someone say net 90 oh. and I almost <laughs> passed out on the street. <laughs> it's just ridiculous because the brand is already getting the benefit during those 30 days. So for me, it doesn't make sense. Yeah. I suggest trying to negotiate 50% upfront. And or they don't agree to that 50% from the date you sign the contract. Because how it usually works is you end up getting paid when you post the content instead of waiting 30 days from when you post it. So that's kind of where I've been finding wiggle room for myself and my clients has been working and or use an early pay software. There's these amazing apps nowadays. I use Lumanu and you get early pay. So it's it's also nice when a brand isn't willing to negotiate. We use Lumanu too. It's a myth, Uh, but that's a problem. I think in the industry and it needs to change. I think over time, hopefully it will. But the third thing I'd say is the termination clause. I mean, those are ridiculous. Mm. A lot of them say that only the brand can get out immediately, not the creator. And I'm like, if the brand can get out immediately, I always, that's one thing I edit, both parties. It needs to be equal. It needs to be mutual. So definitely make sure you're reading that termination because, again, if a brand gets in a scandal, you want to be able to say, hey, uh, three days notice, I'm out. Don't use my photos. Don't use my content. I don't want to be associated. So true. I think... There's like one. I, There's several. Don't say their name. That was that. I'm not going to say it. No, but I do know that it was a really popular brand that had a really big scandal recently that I think pretty much every influencer yep. had affiliate links for. And I can only imagine what those contracts looked like. <laughs> So another question I have is if you're an influencer, and it kind of, I think, goes back to ownership rights of content and things like that. Say, like, I'm an influencer and I'm 
want to hire a photographer okay. to take my pictures for a brand. That would be a separate contract. But how yeah. would I go about with that? This is so important because most of our jobs is taking the content. And when we start delegating, that's something that's really helpful is getting a photographer. So let me give a disclaimer because I sure didn't do it in the beginning. Hey, y'all, the way I'm a licensed attorney, I'm not your attorney. Okay, please seek helpful <laughs> in your local jurisdiction. This is not legal advice. Education and formal purposes only. Okay, boom. Yes. So when you're working with a photographer, once they take the photo, they're the copyright owner. That's the catch. It's not because you're in the content. The person that owns the copyright is the person that is taking the content. Therefore, the creator and the photographer need to have a contract. I prefer something writing or at least an email, y'all, something where the photographer says, okay, you have full ownership rights. You have the copyright owner. I'm just taking this for you. Work for hire works there because the only reason they're taking your photo is for you to post on your social medias, et cetera. And why this is important is imagine if Vogue reached out and was like, oh, girl, I love this photo. And then I had a photographer take the photo. And then I told Vogue, yeah, I'm the owner. I'm the copyright owner. Send me the money. And then the photographer sues me and Vogue because they can. If me and the photographer never had a conversation or never had something in writing about me now being the copyright owner, it happens. It's rare, but it does happen. I always say contracts are like life insurance, car insurance. I hope I don't just hit a truck. But if I do, car insurance. You want to have insurance to protect yourself. I love it. When you're looking to work with somebody, a beauty brand or elsewhere, what are you looking for in them? What are your top like? These are what I want the brand to have. Yeah. So I'll say I'm a little picky on like beauty and skincare because I'm also a creature of habit. So I'm like, if you're not already in the circulation, I'd have to really like it. So I want to be able to use the product a little bit for me to see how I like it and how I can integrate it into the products I already use. But I look on their LinkedIn. I look on their websites. I look inside the comments of their social media, like not just the page, like, oh, that's always cute. I don't care about none of that. I'm looking in the comments. What are people saying? What are their experiences? Are there actual people responding or did they buy followers? Yeah. Brands do it too, child. Very ghetto. Don't do that. So I, I want to get to know the product and the brand before I'm just kind of like announcing it. And would you say that most brands are working with influencers and have that influencer budget these days? I would say most, yes, but it's so surprising that it's still some that aren't. And it's just like, whoa, are you back in the day? For example, I'm working with a company that's local, pretty big company, and I'm helping them build out the influencer marketing program. I'm like, y'all haven't been doing this. It's just remarkable. Brands are still trying to like understand the industry, especially with TikTok and new platforms popping up every other day. It can be intimidating for companies to know where to invest and how to do their own research on us as creators as well. So many platforms. <laughs> so yeah. And I guess like on the other side of that, is there a, because I'm sure brands will be listening to this too, that like want to work with influencers. And so they're on the other side of this. Is there a way for them to gauge if a influencer's followers are fake or are there any tools, mm. vice versa, that an influencer or a brand can use to determine? Yeah. And when you're saying that, there is a website and I can't think of the name. So I have to tell y'all to put the show notes or something. But there is a website yeah. that brands will connect creators with and they usually mostly lately they've been requiring me to agree to in a contract which i'm like i'm fine i don't buy followers thank you where they can literally input your social media platforms and it will give them a percentage of kind of what the ai behind the scenes thinks are like official and authentic and they'll say okay this is authentic platform which is great also but the same thing go on the creator's page look at the comments check out their followers and start to interact with their content if you're a brand especially a small business and you're trying to invest in influencer marketing become a part of their community first 
get to know them, get on a call, and then invest. I like that. You have your dream client you're working with, and you've been negotiating with them, chatting with them, and then they just kind of drop off the planet. Can you revive a dead fish? Do you have anything you would do? Yeah, so I am one to start the email of the people in the business because one thing I know is two things for show, emails get lost, okay? So if I'm working yeah. with a brand and we're in the middle of negotiating and something just stops, something I want to add before I get into that is don't forget that brands are owned by people. People have life things that happen. We all go through ebbs and flows. Something could come yeah. up. Like the person could have got fired. That happened to me before where I was reaching out and then they were like, oh, sorry, they just don't work with us. We're trying to catch up on their emails. So I say first things first is give them grace and then start to find another email to interact with, whether it's even I've reached out to accounting because if you go on their website and you go under their terms and conditions or terms of service or privacy policy, Mm -hmm. they're required legally to have an email in there. Reach out to that email if you're really trying to get some type of information or like clarification or something. And also don't be afraid to send them a DM because the catch with the DMs is please don't do brand partnerships in the DMs. But the thing about DMs, it's usually like an intern or like someone that's just social media manager and they usually will respond, whether it's like they know the information right. or they're like, hey, oh, I'm sorry, I'll get back to you or send the email here because I don't want to get in trouble that I never responded. So don't be afraid to like use other platforms to also get information. But also after some time, sometimes you might have to just wash your hands with it unless you've signed a contract. If you sign a contract, absolutely email their, usually it's like legal at whatever their name is in the privacy policy on their website. Hmm. Good to know. I think it can be really hard to get into contact with some people because like they don't like really list out their email addresses super easy. So that privacy policy tip is definitely a good one. <laughs> of course, like you're an attorney, so attorney client privacy privileges. But can you share any of like the big wins that you've gotten for your clients with problems they've brought to you? Yeah. So fun facts. I do a lot of consulting. I'm a consultant first because it gives me more flexibility. Of course, I have a lot of degrees, so like they get the benefit of me understanding it all and knowledge and stuff like that. But a client went is I had a brand, well, she had a brand reach out to her and send her a trademark infringement cease and desist letter. If you've ever received like a cease and desist letter and it had lawyer letterhead, it was very scary. Yeah, not to me because I was like, child, they didn't. But she was scared and she was like, I'm infringing on their trademark. Like what the heck? And long story short, it was a mistake on the firm's behalf. They were sending it to her because they couldn't get in contact with mm. the company that actually was infringing on a trademark. So they sent it to her because she's in the U.S. and this was an international based company. Immediately, no. So I just politely sent them a very nice email to inform them of how influencer marketing works. Even though if I'm presenting a product, I'm not infringing on the trademark. I'm just in the advertising and marketing department. I'm not in the production. I didn't choose to use this type of product. So I had to inform them of how the process works and that she's not an employee of that company and attach the contract where she signed that said she's an independent contractor. That's a major key as well. So that was a big win. And they just were like, oh, our apologies, like wrong person. (laughs) You always need a lawyer on your side because you just never know what you're going to get to your email. And I've even had, you know, Uh letterhead and everything come to me and they'll have a completely different company name that they were trying to reach out to. They've just reached out to 100 different companies with the same problem. When someone comes to you as an influencer, they might not realize what they're getting into, what is something that you would tell them about what it actually means to be an influencer and what all that entails. That's a great question. I would say the privilege it is to have a voice online is something that a lot of people don't think of before they become an influencer. It's like, 
oh, we see the luxury, we see the freedom, the flexibility and time and the fun and the creativity. However, it is a huge responsibility and a huge privilege to be able to have a voice to your audience where they either like something, comment something, buy something, purchase something, do something. To have that level of say-so over someone, a group of people, it can be a lot of pressure, but it, it's such a beautiful thing. It, it really is a privilege. And that's why a lot of brands are now doing a lot more influence in marketing because that would be their dream. To have the ear to their ideal person is just irreplaceable, which is also why I think a lot of influencers are now starting to do their own products and their own services and things like that because they're like, wait, I have this voice and they're listening and I'm promoting these products. Why not promote my own business? Yeah, that's a really great point. Going on that, like, what do you think the future of influencer marketing looks like? I mean, do you think this is something that people will still be doing in 10 years? I would say the future of influencer marketing, one, it's not going anywhere. I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it will shape shift and start to look different and evolve. But I think in a positive way where creators are starting to have more of like the front end say so on things such as like the net 30. Things like that aren't going to make sense, I feel like, in the next two to five years because more creators are starting to talk about their rates, are starting to talk about the pressure and the issue that they honestly feel when they don't get paid on time, when brands are making tens of thousands of dollars off the content for 30 days before they get the payment. I think there's going to be a union. I'm not anti-union, but I'm also like side-eyeing a union. Coming from an employment background, I've seen pros and cons with unions. So, but mm. I think there will be some either discussion in or one that comes into place, but it's going to take time for it to become what it should be for creators. I do think there's going to be another social media platform, maybe five to 10 years. I don't know what it's going to be, but I could see where there might be another one. I think Instagram and YouTube and maybe even TikTok aren't going to go anywhere. But if I had to choose one platform that I think will always reign supreme, it's going to be YouTube. It's going to be YouTube. I think long form content how-to tutorials, video. People still go to YouTube, even though they do go to TikTok. There's still going to be people that go to YouTube for information, for vlogs, to just see someone in a longer form where social media is starting to kind of dominate even like Netflix and things like that, where people are watching more YouTube. I was just reading an article that said 90% of teenagers are on this one social media platform right now, and it was YouTube. <laughs> yep. Not TikTok, not Instagram, not anything, not the dinosaur of Facebook, like they're calling us. <laughs> but I'm forgetting about Facebook. Yeah. YouTube. And I mean, I'm sure you guys have seen the statistic that more people are using TikTok to search for things than Google. Yeah. Which just blows my mind. But I think that that just really shows like the power of influencing. Because if you were to search best sunscreen on Google, you would get something different than if you searched it on TikTok, you would get someone actually using a product that they're potentially yeah. being paid for as well. And I'll tell y'all, oh, exclusive tea. I think Google either is going to buy TikTok and or they're going to collab where if you search on Google, TikTok videos will come up. Ooh. You know, kind of like how YouTube videos will come up. It's going to be some type of combination because mm. again, like we said, at the end of the day, people are on YouTube, even creators. There's TikTok creators that are Millions of followers on TikTok, but it doesn't equate to the amount of followers on YouTube. If you have 100,000 followers on YouTube and a million followers on TikTok, YouTube still reigns supreme. And that's kind of what the dynamic we're seeing. And also because YouTube's monetization has been in the works for years and it's solid. It's not perfect, but it's solid compared to like Instagram and TikTok. So I also think that's why it's a little bit more appealing to a lot of creators. People are just becoming more visual, too, as opposed to like yes. reading an article about the 10 best items. They want to see it being used and they want to see someone that they can see themselves in using it, I guess. 
Absolutely. But I will say, I still think websites, blogs are so important. They just need to include a video aspect. So whether it's a link to a YouTube video, a link to a TikTok, but at the end of the day, if I'm looking for a recipe, I'm, I'm looking for Google and I'm mm. looking for a blog post. I don't want to see a video sometimes. I just want to see the recipes. I can print it out and go to Publix or Costco or somebody and get the ingredients. Yeah. So, And then also <laughs> you own your website. So don't forget, mm-hmm. there's been creators that lost their whole account. So having a newsletter or something that is yours is also, yeah. I think, will forever reign supreme. It might not be as relevant as it used to be. Like bloggers used to be the girls, okay? Now it's, you know, the video creators, but still, it's always still relevant. Yeah. Yeah. Losing your following is a really great point. Have you had any influencers come to you saying, like, I lost everything. Like, can you help me in any way? I haven't. I haven't, but I've had some where they were like, like locked out of their TikTok. Mm -hmm. TikTok, again, it's new. That's why I'm like, it's a risk. You got to diversify your platforms because TikTok is so new. It's still glitchy. It still has things like that. So you got to get on these other platforms for sure. Yeah. But usually they're pretty quick with responding. Oh, okay. That's good to know. Because I know that Instagram and Facebook, it can kind of be hard to get in touch with a real person. (laughs) Raggedy. They, mm -mm. (laughs) I think my support request just got closed after like two years. So. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I can only imagine. I cannot. It's like so interesting that the lack of support, even though there are like these such big platforms and we bring in so many audience members and so much revenue for them. But do you think that Instagram and Facebook and all these platforms, do you think they support the idea of influencing? And I don't know if this is for everything, but sometimes you have to put that it's a collaboration with this mm-hmm. brand. When do you have to do that and when do you not have to? I'd say the the number one resource when it comes to laws and regulations in this industry, because let me tell y'all, the law is so far behind. I was talking to a lawyer that's been doing this for 10 years and they're like, who is TikTok? I said, OK, you know what? I'm going to go somewhere else. It's just so far behind, but the Federal Trade Commission, the FTC, is really, they're kind of over everything. And fun fact, or not so fun fact, they don't update their laws and regulations every 10 years. So the 10th year is finally coming up next year. So hopefully we'll see some updates. Like 10 years? Are you kidding? Social media changes next month. But my fear is that it's going to be a negative restriction, and then we got to wait 10 more years to figure it out. But the paid partnership label is a part of Instagram's terms and conditions, as well as them abiding by the FTC, because the FTC... What they basically do, they're trying to protect the consumer. They're trying to say, okay, if you are getting paid to do X, Y, Z, we want you to tell the consumers so then they can use their own mind and determine, okay, do I want to trust them now that I know it's paid, et cetera. So they want to protect the consumer's ability to make a decision. Cool. So that's what that paid partnership is. This is where people get it wrong. Once a brand is obligating you to do something, even if it's just you're getting product for the monetization, if it's money, great. But if they're obligating you to post in exchange for product, money, or whatever, you got to put the paid partnership. Paid partnership doesn't mean money. It could be product. But once you're signing, you should sign a contract that says you're obligated to do it. Always have a contract. But people miss that too. If it's a product and they're obligating you to post, you got to have a contract. But yeah, that's what that paid partnership label is. The sponsored label, that sponsored label is whitelisting, paid amplification, and things like that. A brand is usually boosting the content. So that's when you use that. Super helpful. I'll be super curious to see what happens with the FTC next year as well. That's a really great point. Well, yeah, because the last time they made changes was before you even got into the game, it sounds like. Exactly. I'm like, oh, ciao. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that changes. Yeah. I mean, I've heard some things, you know, here and there, but I I think they're not even sure. Because again, I mean, most of the people that are making these type of decisions are creators. 
And, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I say that's something that like as a lawyer, it's like a lot of lawyers that are in this industry that are amazing and phenomenal. They still don't have that understanding of being a creator that didn't get paid on time. I understand it. I'm there. Like, I get it. I always say, like, I'm running the race with creators and I'm just like whispering in the ear like, girl, don't do that. Uh Don't do. Watch out. So with the FTC, I'm, I'm wondering who they're consulting with when it comes to kind of updating these regulations and guidelines. And hopefully they have the creator in mind, not just brands and consumers. Perfect. We will definitely keep an eye out for that. And I can't wait to see what you have to say on it when that is released. I think we all learned so much from you today. I super appreciate your time. Before you head out, though, is there any last piece of advice or words of wisdom that you'd love to leave our audience with? My life motto is what's for me is for me. And with social media, it's easy to compare. You feel like, oh, I got to be the next millionaire influencer in order to be successful. And that's just not the case. So don't compare yourself. What's for you is for you. If you're supposed to work with that brand, I promise you it will not pass you by. Focus on your community. I don't care the following numbers. None of that matters because you have influence even if it's 100 people. You still can influence someone to purchase, to buy, sell your own products and brands that want to work with you. Get affiliate links. Become an Amazon affiliate. Do something where you're still getting a benefit despite the following number. I think we get caught up in the followers. So just remember, what's for you is for you. I love that. Thank you for joining us today. Where can our listeners find you? Oh, okay. Thank y'all for having me. Yeah. Find me on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok at Cameron Monet with a K K A M E R O N M O N E T. And then also, if you want some more of like the legal tea, you can follow me on the legal tea social on Instagram. That's where I do a lot of my consulting and all the things like that if you're interested in that. But we do a lot of that on Cameron as well. And then if you, you're like, girl, I want to see the website, I want to book a service. Go to thelegalty.com and we'd be glad to kiki with you. Love it. Well, thank you so much for sharing your words of wisdom with us today. We learned so much and now I'm going to go dig through people's terms and services. (laughs) (laughs) But we hope you have an absolutely wonderful day and everybody should be running to Cameron's website right now to go get some legal advice and a contract. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Honestly, or just follow her on Instagram. She has so many little nuggets of wisdom in her posts if you are even interested in influencing at all. Oh, thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Of course. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to For the Love of Freelance and being a part of our community. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and join us in our Facebook group at Freelancing Females and shop the freelance shop at thefreelance.shop. Thanks to Janessa Clapp for editing and producing. You can reach us at hello at freelancingfemales.com. We'll see you next time.